This is Encounter on VOA. Here's Carol Castiel. Welcome to Encounter on the Voice of America on this U.S.-Africa edition of the program. Do two recent trips to the continent by senior Biden administration officials signal a renewed commitment to Africa? To what extent is Africa becoming an arena for great power competition among China, Russia, and the United States? Hello again. I'm Carol Castiel. In late December 2022, U.S. President Joe Biden hosted the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit, where approximately 49 heads of state and delegations engaged in discussions on everything from the African continental free trade area and good governance to how to best harness the skills and contacts of large African diaspora communities, including descendants of enslaved Africans and nearly two million African immigrants. President Biden has said that the United States was, quote, all in on Africa's future. Biden announced more than $15 billion in trade and investment deals at the conclusion of the summit. To further illustrate U.S. commitment, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen just wrapped up a trip to Senegal, Zambia, and South Africa, and U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations and former Assistant Secretary of State for African Affairs, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, is visiting Ghana, Mozambique, and Kenya. Meantime, China's foreign minister has just wrapped up a five-nation trip to the continent. China's Belt and Road Initiative, a vast network of railroads and shipping lanes between China and 65 countries in Asia, North Africa, the Middle East, and Europe, dwarfs current U.S. investment in Africa. And Moscow is wasting no time to shore up African support for its invasion of Ukraine. In January, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov was on his second charm offensive since Russia's invasion, shoring up ties with South Africa, Botswana, Angola, and Eswatini. We will ask our guests their main takeaways from Janet Yellen's trip and the ongoing visit of Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield. Ramayad is the director of the Africa Center and senior fellow for Europe at the Atlantic Council, a think tank based in Washington. Ramayad, who was born in Senegal, previously served as France's Minister of Human Rights under the Nicolas Sarkozy administration. And Ambassador Michelle Gavin, she is a senior fellow for Africa Policy Studies at the New York-based Council on Foreign Relations. Previously, Michelle Gavin served as U.S. Ambassador to Botswana and representative to the Southern African Development Community, or SADC, under the Obama administration. And both ladies join me via Microsoft Teams. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, Carol. Let me start with Ambassador Gavin. As I said in the introduction, Africa is being wooed now quite a bit and not just by the United States. What, in your view, precipitated the visits of cabinet officials Janet Yellen and now Linda Thomas-Greenfield at this particular time? Coming on the heels of the African Leaders Summit, as you noted at the end of the last calendar year, it looks like the intention of the Biden administration is to keep a pretty steady wave of high-level engagements, both to follow up on some of the initiatives and sort of nascent ideas discussed at that summit, and more broadly deepen engagement and execute on the U.S.-Africa strategy that the administration has developed. So while I think it's certainly true that U.S. officials have noted the influence and consistent engagement of other major powers like China, and U.S. officials have also noted the frustration expressed in African capitals about the economic and supply chain knock-on effects of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and subsequent efforts to isolate Russia. I do note that they are at pains, you know, not to frame this as 
purely a, a situation of great power competition, but trying hard to identify these areas where African interests and U.S. interests align and see if we can't inject more energy and high-level focus on moving out in those spaces. And turning to you, Ramayad, for your take on the timing and the purpose of the trip by these two cabinet-level officials. I agree with Ambassador Gavin. I would just add that it seems that the tone has changed. Africa is in a momentum right now. In 2023 would be a key year marked by the upcoming Rich Africa Summit next summer in St. Petersburg, the South African Chairmanship of the BRICS, which is expected to launch many innovative initiatives, investment banks, new currencies, you know. The Middle East will also bring a lot of capital into Africa related, but not only to the next COP. So for the U.S., it's urgent to step up the game and and continue making inroads, building from the U.S. Africa the summit. And that's why I think all these figures are traveling to Africa. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, of course, it's pretty unusual to see a U.S. Treasury Secretary travel for almost 10 days on the continent, visiting the island of Goree, paying tribute to slaves. This tone is unusual. Ambassador Linda Thomas Greenfield is there before Secretary Yellen has finished her own trip. And after that, Vice President Kamala Harris, First Lady Jill Biden, Gina Raimondo, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, and President Biden himself is announced there, and a bunch of deputies and undersecretaries. So there's a strong willingness here, for sure, to find new alliances in an uncertain new geopolitical order. Turning back to you, Michelle Gavin, Ramayad made some very interesting points, bringing us sort of back to the so-called great power competition. But I do take your point that the United States is taking pains to look at the U.S.-Africa relationship on its own merits and the need to re-engage, particularly perhaps after the Trump administration, where there was quite a bit of disengagement. But back to the U.S. purpose and reasons for re-engaging, particularly as we see the knock-on effects, as you said, of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the supply chain disruptions. Secretary Yellen, when she was in Senegal, did emphasize that the U.S. engagement is not transactional. And it seems like she used that word as a way to distinguish the United States from China and Russia, that the United States wants to modernize its relationship with Africa by focusing on, quote, what we can do together rather than what we can do for each other. To what extent do you think that message is getting through, whether in Senegal, Zambia, and particularly South Africa, which is really a battleground where we see the South Africans taking pains themselves to be hmm. neutral and not take a stance on you know, Russia's invasion and welcoming Lavrov and so forth? It remains to be seen the degree to which U.S. sincerity is accepted on the continent. I think that for most African governments, they are looking to develop their relationships in a way that best advances their interests. So they don't want to have to choose sides, of course, and I think probably are quite open to collaboration in areas of shared interest, but always on the lookout for any effort to box them in or suggest that they aren't free to collaborate with other powers as well. I do think this dialogue around relationships that are transactional or not also has kind of a bigger frame as the Biden administration broadly tries to shore up support and critically reform a rules-based international order that has been kind of at the bedrock of our understanding 
understanding of international relations since the end of the Second World War. The notion is, and the U.S. has woken up a bit late to this, that African states need to play a critical role in that order. So international institutions need to reflect African equities. There needs to be more space for African voice. And that is something that the administration has been talking about with making commitments to support permanent African seats at the U.N. Security Council, more African representation at the G20, talking about reforms at the international financial institutions. All of this is an attempt to say, stick with international institutions. Yes, let's reform them to make them reflect the world as it is today, but let's not kind of abandon them for what is the shorthand for the alternative typically is a transactional model of international relations. Turning back to you, Ramayad, and picking up on what Michelle Gavin said, because you're the one who said that you see a changed tone. And unlike probably Russia and China, the United States is looking to reinforce and consolidate what we call the rules-based order. So, as you said, also, these trips perhaps by Yellen and Linda Thomas-Greenfield are paving the way for higher-level trips by the vice president, the first lady, and President Biden himself said that he is planning a trip to Africa this year. In regards to the tone as well as substance, have you heard any follow-up with respect to what Michelle said about the United States pressing for a seat for the Africa Union on the G20, as well as perhaps the United Nations Security Council. What kind of progress do you see on those fronts? I think that now it's the time for deliverables, concrete and operational commitments after the talks and discussions and negotiations and maybe new mutual understanding. This time of deliverables requires a roadmap because all these questions, the reforms of the Security Council, a seat for Africans at the J20, have been asked for decades now. It's not new. What could be new is how we do this, how we make this happen. And this time, the Africans maybe have a feeling of emergency because this new frontier, Africa, is the home of the world's largest free trade area. The middle class is growing beyond the billion in 2060. The African youth need jobs. Otherwise, they will attack the institutions. Instability will come. This continent is also the home of, before the pandemic, of half of the world's most dynamic economies. And you can find here the biggest digital revolution of the last two decades, some resources so important for green technologies and the green transition only found in Africa. So yeah, Africa is interesting for itself, not only because of China or Russia. This transition that we are living right now, to get there, America needs to deliver and to trust in itself. African young people, they don't dream of the Chinese or Russian way of life. For them, Hollywood, Silicon Valley, the MIT, NASA, that still means something. So the U.S. can build a lot from there. And they also control the international financial system. World Bank, IMF, they have tools for action tools the other global powers don't have. You know that it's not only a matter of global powers, it's also a matter of regional powers. The Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Israel, Turkey, all of them are playing a new role on the African continent. So I think that the U.S. should now work on how to make this happen, these reforms at the World Bank. And that's how I understand Janet Yellen's recent statement asking quicker progress on World Bank reforms to expand the lending capacities to address 
with climate change and all these global challenges. And there will be very soon these annual meetings, IMF World Bank Spring meetings, where these proposals may be discussed very concretely. And you know that the BRICS are chaired this year by South Africa. So there's an alternative multilateral system that is being built by the others. That's why I think this time is the time for deliverables. Otherwise, something new will come out from this new geopolitical order. We'll have more in just a moment. But first, you are listening to Encounter on the Voice of America. I'm Carol Castiel. My guests are Rama Yad, director of the Africa Center and senior fellow for Europe at the Atlantic Council, from whom you just heard, and Ambassador Michelle Gavin, a senior fellow for Africa Studies at the Council on Foreign Relations. We're discussing U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen's trip to several African countries and what it portends for a deepening of U.S.-Africa relations. This is a reminder that our Encounter podcast is available on most of your favorite podcast apps. You can also download the show at voaafrica.com slash encounter. You may also follow us on Twitter at Carol underscore Castiel or connect with us on Facebook at Current Affairs with Carol Castiel. And that's how we found a loyal listener and Facebook fan, Sholani from South Africa. If you want to hear your name and home country on the air, please like us and leave a comment on our Facebook page, or you can send an email to encounter at voanews.com. Well, back to our guests and over to you again, Ambassador Michelle Gavin, to continue our discussion about the United States deepening its relationship with Africa, with the continent. What would you say to what Rama just said with respect to the need for more deliverables on the U.S. side vis-a-vis Africa? And to what extent do you see them materializing perhaps this year with the number of trips that are taking place and being planned on behalf of the U.S. government? Well, I think that Ambassador Yad's absolutely right, that it's one thing to have the rhetoric in place, engage in summitry, have high-level trips, but the proof really is in the results. Now, these trips are helpful because in any system, when you have principals traveling, you try and tee up deliverables for them to announce. And so actually a brisk pace of high-level visits does tend to move the bureaucratic machinery in a way that is quite helpful. I would also note that the Biden administration took the unusual step of naming kind of a special representative for Africa Leaders Summit implementation and bringing Ambassador Johnny Carson, a very distinguished and well-respected U.S. diplomat with a long history in Africa, back into government for the express purpose of ensuring that there is follow-up and implementation on major initiatives discussed at the summit. Again, the proof is always in the results and it's early days. And that's a shame because we're a couple years into the Biden administration. It took a while to get to this point. But I see real evidence that the U.S. is mindful that there has to be more than symbolism to achieve the policy goals that we've been discussing. Back to you, Ramayad. Speaking of more than symbolism, I wonder if you could comment on some of the concrete deliverables that we may already be seeing as a result of Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen's trip, whether in Senegal, in Zambia, where she spoke of the high debt and the need for China to get involved to reduce that debt, as well as your native Senegal. That's interesting to see there's a methodology in these trips and their content. For example, Secretary Yellen's trip 
is based on a few remarkable priorities. We saw her meet with the tech community of Senegal that echoes the new digital strategy of the U.S. to Africa. That's interesting to see her talk with the agricultural sector, which reflects maybe tomorrow the future talks around the new AGOA, Africa, African Growth and Opportunity Act that will expire in 2025. And it's important now to discuss the content of the next one. On climate too, and on depth, for example, in Zambia, she seemed to draw an alternative solution there. We also heard that she met with her Chinese counterpart a few days before arriving there, which means that maybe here she's testing alternative solutions on depth. So I think that's the right way to do things, strategize on these key issues from digitalization to trade to the international development architecture. I think it's also important to stress the emergency to work on finance and banking, everything around de-risking investments in order to bring the U.S. private sector in this discussion too, because the U.S. private sector is a key actor. The international markets, the rating agencies should be included in this dialogue because what is important here is to leave the exclusive dialogue based on assistance, aid, and humanitarian vision and engage the U.S. in a long-term and strategic partnership around the industrial transformation of the continent. And sometimes the answer is not in some fight with Chinese. The answer may be in the U.S. itself. Let's take the example of U.S. private investment in Africa. All of us know a lot of U.S. companies saying they cannot invest in Africa because it's too risky. And Macky Sall, as president of Senegal and chair of the African Union, has made a lot of statements this year to complain about the way rating agencies rate African economies, saying it's outdated, it's unfair. These ratings don't reflect the economic performances of African nations. So it's very important to work on that, which explains why U.S. or Western primaries are so high when it comes to investing in Africa. And Chinese primaries are low than that, uh, which means that they seem to more trust the African economies. That is a problem that could be easily fixed by bringing in these discussions and in these talks the private sector, the rating agencies, and try to work on more trust in Africans. I think that's the key. Well, thank you for that, Rama. And over to you, Michelle Gavin. As former ambassador to Botswana, I'd like to get your insights with regard to UN Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield's trip to Ghana, Kenya, and of course, Mozambique. That's your area of expertise. I would like to get your take on how that trip complements Janet Yellen's trip. What do you expect from her visit to these specific countries? Well, obviously, Ambassador Thomas Greenfield has a long history on the continent, is extraordinarily knowledgeable, and these are three very different but also very important stops. In Ghana, this is a close partner of the U.S. They've been weathering difficult economic times, but continue to play a really important role regionally. There's a great deal of insecurity, obviously, in the Sahel, a lot of concern about it creeping toward West Africa, and Ghana has been trying to assert some leadership in some regional initiatives to address this. 
I think that Mozambique is a, an economy that was growing very quickly for a while. There is a incredibly worrying violent extremist movement in the north, and there's a, a rich array of bilateral issues to discuss. And then Kenya, which has become a more and more important partner of the United States in a very volatile Horn of Africa, but an economically uh, very dynamic East Africa. You know, Kenya sits sort of at the crossroads of these two, in some ways, contradictory trends and its stability, its continued economic growth are incredibly important, not just for the region, but as an example of an economy that's not based on extractive industries, one that's driven in many ways by innovation. Ambassador Yad was just talking about the importance of the ag sector in driving job creation and new economic relationships. I would just note that the ag tech sector in Kenya is incredibly exciting. And as the U.S. moves more deeply into fleshing out what this new MOU with the African Union around food security means, there's a real opportunity to integrate climate concerns, be thinking more about regenerative agriculture, and avoid just repeating the less than satisfying efforts of the past that we've engaged in in ag. So I think the countries make good sense. I think what we'll see is these senior officials trying to cover as much ground as possible by not all making the same stops. Because while there are issues that we've been discussing today that really do implicate the entire continent, there are plenty of discrete issues that the U.S. needs to work on on a bilateral basis with different partners. And so I think it absolutely makes sense to have diversity and a variety of destinations when it comes to this flurry of high-level engagement. Over to you again, Rama, because I want to add, it may be not coincidental that Mozambique is just starting its first ever two-year term on the U.N. Security Council. Kenya, a very major country in the Horn, extremely important to the region and to the United States as a key partner, also on humanitarian issues, refugees, and so forth. But that leads me to ask you a little bit about President Biden's emphasis on democracies versus autocracies. And of course, I don't know any other way to describe China and Russia, but as authoritarian regimes, and notwithstanding the many shortcomings the United States has, it is a democracy. So How do you see the United States going forward, you know, vis-a-vis Africa and these challenges from Russia and China, especially with Russia helping some very malign actors, particularly in West Africa via the Wagner Group, sowing discord? It's maybe the tough parts in the relation, even between the Western countries and this what we call now the global south, democracy, is on the table of debates. It was supposed to be obvious, something every nation on this earth would want, but it seems that democracy is controversial. (laughs) It's difficult to talk about democracy now, especially when the speech comes from the US. Every time discussion is on the table. Of course, you have people who say, oh, no, not you. You are lecturing us. You cannot lecture us. See yourself, January 6th. See the double standards you have. Sometimes you want to save democracy and sometimes you fight our democracies by supporting or 
helping authoritarian regimes when they serve your interests. So the young generations are very hard about that and they watch. And in their mind, some of them now think that democracy is a Western thing. It's a problem. They forget their own stories first and the problem is on both sides. These young activists who think that democracy is a problem forget that democracy completely belongs to African future. But they don't know it because they have been cut from their own history for centuries. Democracy is not external goods. When Europeans colonized Africa, they met democratic kingdoms first. The Mali Empire was a model of political integration of diverse peoples like Tuareg, Wolof, Mambara, Generation 2. The universal national service that the French are currently debating about existed among the Igbo of Nigeria. Nigeria, where the age groups had social duties. On the field of human rights, the Mandate Charter of 1236 is said to be the first declaration of human rights. So maybe that should be a good start to dialogue on democracy with them, to avoid this feeling of being lectured. And even January 6th, yes, it was a problem. Democracy is not granted even for the U.S., but the institutions held. And I think that's important to stress and highlight that institutions held. And yeah, even for us, for the U.S., it's not granted. And we will have much more about the deepening U.S.-Africa relationship in the months to come. But for now, that's all the time we have on this Africa edition of Encounter. I'd like to thank my guest, Ambassador Rama Yad. She's director of the Africa Center at the Atlantic Council and Ambassador Michelle Gavin, a senior fellow for Africa Studies at the Council on Foreign Relations. Encounter was produced in Washington with technical assistance from Rick Pantaleo. I'm Carol Castiel. Join me again next week for another encounter on The Voice of America.